Gentlemen, those three fellows sang at the men's conference for us and well, did a number of songs throughout the course of the conference, and that was such a blessing. I'd almost like to hear them do about three or four more of the ones they did. They were really, really good, and uh, uh, boy, just a fabulous job they did. Really kept things going during the conference, and that's always good, but boy, just wonderful. Well, man, he was taking it easy, and he was laying on the grass, and he was looking up in the clouds, and yeah, you do when you kind of look up there sometimes, those clouds kind of take shape. And he just decided that he had talked to God for just a few minutes. And he said, God, how long's a million years? He said, well, in my frame of reference, it's about a minute. He said, well, God, how much is a million dollars? He said, well, to me, it's a penny. The man said, God, can I have a penny? And he said, sure, just a minute. <laughs> Needless to say, he didn't get it for a million years. Okay, but anyway, 
Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 to start with today. We're glad you're here. I told you this morning we were going to talk a little bit about tongues just for a little bit tonight. And we're not going to answer every question, obviously, and, but, but I did want to spend just a few moments and address it from the standpoint of just Acts chapter 2, just a little bit. I don't have all the answers. I'd, I'd like to know a lot more than I do, but, you know, it's just, um, there's things every once in a while that I don't even have a good handle on. As much as I try, I'm still just finite. I'm just human. And uh, I was glad to hear one of the gentlemen say, uh, I think it was uh, Brother Noonan, one of our speakers, he mentioned the fact that even in heaven, we're not going to know everything, is if we knew everything, we'd be God. And we won't be God. We'll never be God. And there'll always be things that distinguish us from him. So I'm sure there'll be things that are kept secret from us or things that we don't quite understand. But that's all right. We don't need to understand everything all the time. We simply need to know who he is. And knowing him, we can trust him. And he's gonna, he has our best interest at heart. Now, again, he gives us the word, and he expects us to study it and to understand it and to do our best to apply it to our lives on a regular daily basis. And so we're going to take some time to look into this a little bit and see what we can learn. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, we had already discussed and talked about the fact that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been foretold. We looked at John chapter 14. We considered John chapter 16. And if we take the time, turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 1, verse 8 very quickly, and we're going to go back there to Acts 2. So don't, 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 don't lose your place completely. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, we're going to see that John the Baptist informs his disciples that one is coming that will baptize them with the Holy Ghost. And we remember that, that uh, John was talking to them and working with his disciples, and he's pointing them to Jesus Christ at this point. And uh, he says... In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And, and so we're going to see that something new is going to be taking place here, ultimately as a result of Christ in, in, in the lives of people. And now we're going to see the day of Pentecost arriving and the Holy Ghost, which was promised by the Father and which Jesus Christ spoke about, is now coming. John baptized with water, but Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with power. And we're going to see here now that indeed that's what he does. So back to John, uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at that. We see here already that there's a mighty rushing wind that came upon the people. And I'm sure that that rushing wind drew some attention. I'm sure that it was rather loud. Probably I can't even imagine how loud it was. Maybe it was like a, a jet flying over the city. I'm not sure. But one way or another, it probably drew some attention, maybe even caused people to gather around. But what we're going to see here now in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, that the Bible tells us what that was all about. In verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them which uh, speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which are not, uh, excuse me, are not all these which speak Galileans? 
And how hear we ever man in his own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Pergia and uh, Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libna, uh, Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own, our, our, our tongues, the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Now we know as we went through that a little bit uh, earlier this morning, what it meant and what it had to do with. But tonight I want to focus primarily on this issue of these tongues. In Acts chapter 2 verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Listen, they had come from everywhere because of the Feast of Pentecost. Jews from all over the place. This was their reason for being in Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Acts 2.6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Now again, these men that were speaking, these that were proclaiming this truth and this good news were from Galilee. They couldn't speak all these other languages, but they were speaking them now. The Spirit gave them utterance. They weren't talking simply gibberish either. It wasn't just a bunch of words that were coming out of their mouth. They're not talking some unknown tongues. That's not what they were doing. They were speaking a dialect of the people. It's believed that even if they, that, that the words that they were hearing were in their own dialect. It'd be almost like, you know, you West Virginians. You'd hear it with your twang. Okay? The dialect, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. Man, every time I get on the phone with my friend from South Carolina, I start sounding like I'm from the South. You ever do that? It just happens. But nonetheless, they weren't just speaking gibberish. This wasn't some unknown tongue at all. This was very understandable. It was a dialect even of their own. They knew what was going on. Now, on the other hand, there are some Bible scholars that believe that What's meant here is that the apostles were not speaking in other languages at all, but they were speaking in their own Galilean dialect, and the miracle was in the hearing. Because, it, you know, it says in the past that every man heard them speak in his own, uh, own tongue or own language. And so the, the, the idea was, okay, so maybe it's not that they themselves were speaking another tongue or dialect, but possibly that everybody heard in their own language. I've read through this a number of times, and to be quite frank with you, I, 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 I you know what I mean? I, I look at it, I go, well, it looks to me like they're speaking in another language, but it does say that they heard them in their own tongue. Well, you figure it out. You have the Spirit of God, so quit expecting me to tell you everything. Either way, what we do know, without a doubt, is this was not an unintelligible language at all. As we said, it just wasn't gibberish. It just wasn't, you know, handle, 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 hand
Listen, I have been to churches, and sadly enough, this is years ago, I sang in a Christian group and traveled around the country. And let me tell you something, I've heard tongues before. I've heard tongues not so far from this location right here. And people say, handle, 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 jumping over pews and falling over backwards and being covered with sheets. And you say, wow. Woo! That's not what we see here, though. Now, we know that in chapter 14 of the book of Corinthians, Paul begins to give outline some, some real direction and instructions when it comes to speaking in tongues. And one of the things I can guarantee you is this, that any time there was ever, even in the New Testament church, early on in the ministry, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but the fact was is that when it was used or when it did happen, there was always somebody, no matter what, that could give the meaning so that it was very clear. The Apostle Paul understood that it didn't do any good to have somebody speaking in tongues, but everybody else sitting around going, wonder what they're saying. It made no sense. He said, I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 5,000 without it. But that's not how the modern tongues movement works usually. I have never been in a church, as many churches as I've been in years and years ago, and I'm not endorsing this, by the way. Please don't go there to test the waters. But the fact is, is that I've never been in a church that ever did it scripturally. Matter of fact, a church locally here sent us a letter later and apologized because it was not done properly. At least they recognized that what took place in the church was all flesh that night. I'm not here to try to criticize churches. I'm not here to try to put down ministry. I am here to tell you that biblically and scripturally, the day of Pentecost, they heard in their own tongues. It was very clear what was going on. They understood exactly. And as a matter of fact, 3,000 people came to Christ that day because they understood the message that clearly. What we do know is that tongues are for a sign. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. It goes on to say a few other things there, but it's specific to say, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. That's important, because then we learn in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, that the Jews require a sign. Turn to 1 Corinthians one twenty-two, please, and see it for yourself. Because this is really the crux of the issue. The Jew requires a sign. The Jew requires it. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, he is talking about the Jew as far as nationally speaking. Because we know there are individual Jews to this day that get saved, and they don't need a sign. We understand that. We know that. They're part of the body of Christ if they receive the Lord Jesus. Often they're called, they say, we're Messianic Jews. Call yourself whatever you want. You're part of the body of Christ. You're just like me. You're no different. No better, no less. No, no nothing. You're just me. You're like me. I'm in the body. I'm part of the bride of Christ. I'm not trying to downplay their nationality, but I'm an American. That don't make me any special in the body of Christ either. 
We're all in the body. Praise God, he doesn't play favorites that way either. But notice, as a nation and as a people, the Jews going to require a sign. Notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians 1.22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know, he's talking about Gentiles there. We're seeking after wisdom. We want answers. The Jew says, give me a sign. We say, give me some answers. Now, from the very beginning, the Jew has always required a sign. Turn, if you would, over to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. Remember, Moses goes up into the mount, and he comes face to face with the Lord in, 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 in uh, the, the, the manner of a burning bush. There he comes to face to face, and he hears the voice of God. And man, I mean to tell you, it shakes him up, and it shakes up his life, and it changes everything from that moment on. I'll tell you what, when we hear the voice of God, it ought to change your life forever. <clears throat> Changed his, that's for sure. But notice here in the book of Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Might help if I got back there. I usually write out all my scriptures, but when I have that many, I don't. And so now I just assumed it would be written out, and it's not. Here it is, chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> and Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. God had told Moses, You're going to go there to Egypt, and you're going to let the people know I have sent you to deliver them. And he says, oh man, <laughs> they're, they're not going to believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they'll say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before him. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom, and... He put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd been a little bit concerned. Verse 7, and he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. He put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. Behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. It shall come to pass. They will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it came to pass, if they will, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Man, I mean, right off the bat, God is establishing Moses as his spokesman, as his representative, and he's saying, listen, you go and you let them know that I've done just that, and you're going to be the one that I use to deliver them. What in the world am I going to do when they say, that's ridiculous, you of all people, we don't even know who you are anymore. 
It's been 40 years, remember, since he left Egypt. He says, you're going to show him some signs. From the very beginning, from the very early stages of this nation, they went into Egypt just a family. They come out a nation. And the nation begins with signs. We note the outcome or the response of the people in verse 31. Excuse me, Exodus 29. Wait, boy, that was... Make that Exodus 4, verses 29 through 31. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. When they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads in worship. Man, I mean to tell you, these, these people saw the signs, and they believed. In the Old Testament, it's interesting, we even know covenants that are accompanied with signs. We think about the Sabbath. The command to observe the Sabbath was given to Israel exclusively. It was given to Israel as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. The Bible says in the book of Exodus 31, 13, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath shall, ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. We think of circumcision in Genesis 17, 9 through, 9, uh, through 10. And God said unto Abram, Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant therewith, thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man among you shall be circumcised. It was a sign, it was a picture of the covenant that God had between him and his people. In Acts chapter 7, verse 36, he brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Boy, signs are a part of their past. Every time you turn around, God is showing a sign to Israel, somehow, some way, sharing a sign, even in the wilderness, as they traveled for 40 years because of their disobedience and unbelief. He says, I gave them signs. The Jew requires a sign. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, <clears throat> well, well, wait a second, let me just say this. I think I would put this in the wrong spot, and I don't have a pen to change it. So let me give it to you anyway. That doesn't belong there at all. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at this. It doesn't belong here. Let me throw this in anyway. Put this in the back of your mind, and at the end somewhere, you can throw it back in. <clears throat> God's going to give us a heads up, okay? And he's going to say, be careful. You're going to see where this fits later. Don't forget that Satan will send a superman with all power, signs, and lying wonders as well. This is the, the danger of some of these things. I, I don't want to get into it right now. But again, second thought, so even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonder. So we're going to see here in just a little bit as we move forward that in the end, <laughs> we better be careful because just because we see a sign doesn't mean it's from him. Okay, that, that's what we're going to find out. And we know that when they went into Egypt, remember those, uh, uh, well, the, the, the magicians, the sorcerers, if you will? They, you know, Moses said, Aaron, throw that thing down. Throws it down. He turns into a snake. Pharaoh says, hey, you guys, throw yours down. He throw it down, turns into snakes. How'd they do that? Well, Satan's got power too. 
But then, of course, Moses' snake ate them both. That's good, too. But anyway, <clears throat> so we see here early on in the history, in, in, in Israel's history, they require a sign. We see throughout the Gospels, even, as uh, the Lord Jesus Christ shows up, <clears throat> that once again, there's many miracles that are being performed. And again, there are signs to the Jew. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, turn there. Matthew 4, verse 23. <clears throat> so from the very beginning, the Jew requires a sign. And the Bible says that tongues are a sign. And we see that in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, right off the bat. God is giving Moses some signs to ensure uh, or to give the people confidence that he has the credentials, the needed credentials to do the job that God's called him to do. You obviously are from God because you come with signs. Because we know ultimately that when Jesus Christ shows up, that will be evidence, the signs will be evidence that he is Messiah. Now watch what happens here. In Matthew 4, 23, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. We're told that even while John the Baptist was in prison, when he sought for further confirmation that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, we're going to see that Jesus Christ sends one of his disciples back and says to him, You share this with him. And he shares Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. Listen closely. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Signs, 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 signs. The Jew requires a sign. We talked about the day of Pentecost already. We have the Jew, Jew in the past. Demanding, requiring a sign. We see that their history is full of it. Their past begins with it. We see that then in the days of Jesus Christ, sign after sign to ensure that the Jew understands that he indeed is the promised one and the Messiah. And we know they still rejected him. But now we see at Pentecost, after his ascension, in Acts 2.33, we read it this morning. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So listen, now you have the Holy Spirit descending. Now you have these men here speaking in tongues. Listen, you see for yourselves what's taking place here. You hear for yourselves what's taking place here. He is at the right hand of the Father. He was indeed who he claimed to be. We see in the early church this issue of signs and even tongues that were used as well. But so tongues are a sign. Notice it says in Acts, go to turn to Acts, please, chapter 2, verse 43. The Jew requires a sign. Signs were a major part of their history. Signs were a major part of their, the, the Lord's time on earth with them. Signs were a major part in the early church. Why? Because God was still dealing with the Jew. 
Notice it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, again, Pentecost, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. We see that after we have Pentecost here, we see now that the church begins to take hold of the Holy Spirit, and signs and wonders begin to pop up again everywhere. Here we go. Here it is. Wonders, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Why all the signs? Because there's Jews being dealt with. We mentioned this this morning, but remember there's a transition taking place. God was dealing with a nation, the Jews, and he had them under the law. Now there's a transition. We're going from God dealing with the Jew to dealing with the Gentile. We go from God uh, uh, dealing with his people under law to dealing with them under grace. We're going from the old to the New Testament. We're dealing with, again, the Jew, and now we're dealing with, or should I say the nation Israel, now we're dealing with the church. A transition's taking place. And God had intended, of course, to deal with the Jew, and he says even to go to the Jew first, and then all the rest of the world. We see even in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you begin local and you spread out. Let me tell you something. His intention was that the Jew would receive and accept him. Ultimately, that they would, he would be able to bring his kingdom into play. But they had rejected him. But a transition's taking place. He's still trying to reach the Jew. He's still trying to deal with those people. And when you see Jews around, you see signs. Acts 4.30. Again, early church. <clears throat> We're not reading major passages. I'm just reading specific verses to make sure we understand that there are signs that are taking place here. Acts 4.30, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Again, there are signs and wonders being done in the early church. Things going on that, to be frank with you, don't go on today. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people that they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Interesting, Solomon's porch. I think there's a few Jews there. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Remember, the Jews had been scattered abroad throughout the entire world because of persecution. There are Jews all over the place now. These apostles are going forth and they are performing these signs and wonders and these miracles and things are happening. People are receiving the Holy Ghost and when they do, they're speaking in tongues. Again, it's a sign. And what we're going to find ultimately is that it's a sign to the Jew. One of the great hindrances that the Jew had was with the Gentile because he saw himself above the Gentile, better than the Gentile closer to God and de deserving the love of God more than the Gentile. The Gentile deserved to be cast into hell. The Jew deserved to go to heaven in their eyes. And so what's going on now is that when these tongues are taking place, it's saying, listen, 
In chapter 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians, we see Cornelius and his household. And even when Paul goes back in chapter 15 of the book of Acts and deals with Peter and James back there at the New Testament church in Jerusalem, he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, these Gentiles are getting saved. They've gotten the Holy Spirit just like we did. What's he saying? They spoke in tongues. But you say, why would a Gentile speak in tongues if it's a sign for a Jew? Because the Jew needed the sign to prove that the body of Christ was going to be comprised of both Jew and Gentile. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 19, we read through, many, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto uh, Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul the Apostle still speaking there. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Why, why did the apostles have to do all the mighty works they did? That's a good question, right? I mean, why, why did Paul and, and the others, the, 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 even we see even with uh, the, 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 those uh, James and John and all of them, they're doing some mighty things, some miracles, miraculous things. Why? Because ultimately, they're signs of the, apostle, they're, of the apostles. They're proving their, their credentials, if you will. Here they are doing these mighty miracles and it's just confirming in the minds of the people that they have God's stamp of approval upon their life and their ministry. That when they begin to write the New Testament, they can believe those books because those signs accompanied those apostles which meant God had stamped them approved. It was their credentials. <clears throat> We even see, amazingly, over in the book of Acts, as late as Acts chapter 19. Turn there, if you would. We're going to see some of this taking place again. Paul's in Ephesus now. Ephesus isn't a Jewish town. It's a Gentile place. And while, they're, while there, he runs into about 12 men, the Bible says, who had experienced John's baptism, but they had not received the Holy Ghost. Notice what happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 4. Then said Paul... <clears throat> John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want to blow you out of the water or anything, okay? But when the tribulation kicks off again, you know, when it kicks off, not again, but when it kicks off, do you know what gospel is going to be preached? The gospel of the kingdom. You know what that is? That's exactly what John was preaching. He's coming back. He's coming back. You better get ready for him. He's coming back. And those, those men that are there on the earth, they're going to be going around telling people, don't you take that mark. He's coming back. You better get ready. And here we find that these men, they had yet to receive the Holy Ghost. It's interesting that when the church leaves, the Holy Spirit goes with it. Notice what happens here in verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. You know what they did? They got saved. And when Paul laid, had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them. Now that is not works today, is it? 
Now, you have some false prophets in the world that go around doing that. Let me lay my hand on you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Uh-uh. You don't see that after chapter 19. You won't see it. You won't see it at all. Notice what happens here. Again, why is this happening? He, so he lays his hands on them, verse 6. The Holy Ghost came upon the, on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. <clears throat> Those are signs. Why signs? And all the men were about 12. And he went, oh, this is interesting. And he went into the synagogue. <laughs> There's Jews around. And Jews require a sign. <clears throat> the Bible says that he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God now. Man, I'll tell you, that Jew requires a sign. And so God gave them one. He gave them a number of them. For the Jew requires a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting to know, turn if you would to 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to see that these signs are going to basically fade away. They're going to go away. <clears throat> and we're going to note what, what causes it to go away or the reason for that. And if you don't understand this, you don't get why God allowed them to have signs early on and while now we don't. See, as a Baptist, I believe the Bible, and the Bible does not teach that we run around speaking in tongues and that we healed and do all of those things. That stuff is not part of the New Testament church as we understand it today. Now, one day, as I said, when God begins to deal with the Jew again, guess what's going to show back up? Signs and wonders. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Huh? That doesn't make sense. Are you saying that, that, that the things God shared will not come to pass? Uh, keep reading. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Those things that are in part shall be done away. We see that prophecies will be, they'll fail. They'll, they'll not continue. That the tongues, they're going to cease. They're not going to continue. The knowledge, it's not going to be around anymore. It's going to discontinue. At least understanding it the way it was in Jesus' day. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Hold on, when will this happen? When that which is perfect has come. Someone says, well, that which is perfect is Jesus Christ. He's perfect. And you know what? I'm not going to argue that. You are absolutely spot on. He is perfect. But understand this. It can't mean Jesus because prophecies 
tongues, and knowledge continued after he had already gone. That doesn't make sense then. I mean, if Jesus was the one it's talking about, then they should have gone away after he did. Or as he arrived, actually, that's when they should have begun to vanish. That's when they should have ceased. That's when they should have failed, but it didn't. Matter of fact, they were, it was going strong, buddy. Real strong. When Jesus was here. But that which is perfect is the word of God. Look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. Once the Word of God came on the scene, once it was, it was put together and, and the, the apostles that had those signs and their credentials had been, had been uh, stamped and approved by God and people said, wow, man, they could receive the Word of God now with confidence and, and those letters were being passed and now they could read them each and every time they gathered together and they could be encouraged and informed and instructed and inspired to do the work of God now like never before. Matter of fact, it was a more sure word of prophecy. We'll see that in a moment. But notice what it says here in Psalm 19:7: The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord is perfect. That which is perfect has come. You say, well, I already had part of it, but we didn't have it all. Remember, we didn't have the New Testament till after Christ resurrected, till after Christ ascended, till after Christ sent the Holy Ghost, till after Christ empowered the writers, the pens that literally just transcribed his word. But as that word came together, as God began to move past the Jew, and work toward the Gentile. There was less and less a need for signs anymore. And again, when the Bible was complete, that which was done in part was done away with. And in 2 Peter 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. He says, let me tell you, you got a more sure word of prophecy. That word of God which you hold in your hand is never changing. It's never, you don't have to worry about somebody sharing the story again. You can read about it yourself. You don't have to have somebody trying to explain to you what they saw or experienced. No, you can read about it. You want answers to your problems and your questions. You go right to the source. As we used to say, the horse's mouth. A more sure word. This book doesn't change. And let me tell you, that's what makes all these different versions so scary is the word is changing. But it's not God's word changing. It's man changing his word. Because God's word hasn't changed a lick. So when God's done with the church, we said he's going to return his attention back to the Jews. And when he does, signs will show up again. Turn to Revelation chapter 11. So we have the Jews and we have Israel that God's dealing with under the law. 
that Old Testament. Jesus shows up and begins to reveal himself. He's Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He ascends back. He empowers now the church to fulfill his sole purpose. And he allows signs and wonders to continue because he's still dealing with Jews. He was still working with them. He was still hoping and praying that they would, so to speak, if you will, come to him and allow him to fulfill his purpose and plan for them. But unfortunately, they rejected him. And in the midst of that transition, God's still dealing with Jews. But as the word of God is being written and it's being completed, and God is dealing now with the church and not the nation of Israel primarily, there's no need for the sign because it's the Jew that requires the sign. Notice, though, when he begins to deal with the Jew again now, in Revelation eleven thirteen. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. <clears throat> and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. That's three and a half prophetical years. A prophetical years, 360 days. And so they're going to prophesy now and they're going to go come on the scene and when they come on the scene, the Antichrist is going to be not happy. Some say it'll be Moses and Elijah based on what we're going to see here as far as the miracles they will do. Others say it's possibly Enoch and Elijah, uh, and Elijah because both of them were so-called translated. It does appear to me and seems pretty, seems pretty I don't know, it, it seems to me like Moses could very well be the one though because, boy, what he does here, I mean, what these guys do, I should say, mirror so much of what transpired in Elijah's life and in Moses's. Watch what happens here in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> he goes on now, and he says, If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. Sounds a little bit like old Elijah calling fire down from heaven, doesn't it? And devoureth their enemies. <laughs> and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. The, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Man, I'll tell you what, it sounds a little bit like some Old Testament stuff. But God's dealing with the Jew again. And I know that the, the devil and the Antichrist will have tremendous power and his witnesses will feel like there's nobody to protect them and God says, I'm going to do just that and give them the authority to rain fire out of heaven and to take care of business. But let me tell you, there's somebody watching now. A Jew. Because God's trying again. He's working with his people, the Jewish nation again. It's funny that even when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, in Matthew 24, 30, the Bible says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. <laughs> okay, what's that going to do? And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. and They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
the nation of Israel will then be saved as in a day. Again, why these signs? Why tongues? Because the Jew requires a sign. And that's what we seek. Turn if you would to John chapter 20 as we close. John chapter 20, verse 26. John chapter 20, verse 26. Jesus Christ has died, was buried, and now he's risen again. And after, the, the, after eight days again, his disciples were within. We know that he had already met with the disciples. However, we're going to see that Thomas wasn't there. After eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. I'm going to tell you something. When you are in the presence, when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ, there is peace. And I'm telling you, anytime you get yourself in a mess, whether it's your spirit, your attitude, or even just problems in life, get with him because there's peace when he's around. Then said, verse 27, then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. <laughs> Thomas, remember, he had said, listen, until I get to stick my finger here, and put my hand there, and till I see him for myself, and experience it firsthand, I'll never believe. Huh. Jesus says, all right, go ahead. Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Today, you and I, we don't, we're not seeing the signs and the wonders. Jesus Christ doesn't just miraculously show up on the stage. There are no such things as 900-foot Jesuses. And, and, and there's, there's no reason that we, and, and again, I, I'm not saying this, I, I love to hear about geological finds that support the Word of God. Man, I get excited about that. But do I really, is that what it's going to take to get me to believe? No, it's got to be a little more than that. There has to be a conscious decision. And in this case, Thomas, he said, you had to see me to believe. The truth is, you will never see Jesus the way the disciples did in this life. You're just going to have to believe. And the Holy Spirit of God was left here to bring conviction to us and to point out Christ to us and to make him more real in our lives. And we've been given this word. And as we read it, we need to see him in our mind's eye and we need to see him in our heart, our spirit's eye. Man, I don't need to, I, if, I can, I've never seen Jesus. 
And I know we're going to have a play and a program. It's called, I've just seen Jesus. They did see him. We see him, the crucified Christ, the risen Savior, the Redeemer of all mankind. And as we sit in a pew or stand in our, in our, our area, we feel the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit saying, receive and accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You're a sinner and you will die without Him as your Savior and Lord and you'll spend an eternity separated from Him. And we say, man, I don't have to see Him. He's speaking to me now. Not only do I have His promises and His Word, but I have His Spirit wooing me and drawing me and ultimately guiding and leading us as He lives inside us and takes up residency in our heart. The reality of Christ actually should be greater than ever now because not only is he among us, he is in us. You and I ought to live our lives trying to make sure that he's more real every day to us. And we settle way too often for just getting by. Man, God's good to us. The Jew requires a sign. That's what we wanted to focus on. But let me ask you, what do you require for your faith to grow? Are you waiting on a sign? Or will you just simply trust his word and depend upon him by faith? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your graciousness. We thank you for your love and mercy. Lord, you've been so good to us, uh, not just, just to save our souls already. It's so much more than we could ever have imagined or ever know we deserve for sure. And yet, Lord, you not only do that, but you indwell us, you live with us. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, for the comforter, for the guide, the teacher that he is to us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us tonight to be good witnesses and testimonies of the Lord Jesus. Be more real to us every day. May we look back on our day of our salvation and remind ourselves of how real you were that day as you convicted us and drew us to yourself. May we look back in our lives during circumstances when it seemed that the impossible overwhelmed us and yet you came to our aid and delivered us supernaturally. We say we know him. He's so real to me. May we never forget how you have met our needs and how you've continued to do so through our lifetime. Father, help us, Lord, we pray, to believe, to believe from the Word of God, to just simply trust and, and believe you. And we'll thank you, we'll praise you, we'll give you the glory and the honor. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all